BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Between the shadows of reality and the fringe of our own fears lurks a world of monsters. Strange creatures and frightening phantoms who test the very boundaries of our science and superstition. It's a realm of mystery and legend, a place of fact and fear. This is Monstro Bizarro. Just about the time man, in all his wisdom, decides that he has this world and everything in it all figured out, along comes something he can't explain. Take the recent reports of the Lake Worth monster, or creature, or whatever you want to call it. Some who have seen it say it looks like a half-man, half-goat. Others, who are a little more conservative, describe it a little differently. Well, it was about seven foot tall, weighed about 350 pounds. And it was hairy, and I couldn't see his face. It was in the dark. There are reports that it has scales, too. Did you notice that? I was so scared. I didn't see nothing like that. On July 10th, 1969, just after midnight, my late friend Bill Morris was sitting in a cafe near Lake Worth, northwest of Fort Worth, Texas. He was quietly enjoying his meal when a young couple burst into the restaurant looking for a phone. They were visibly upset and in a state of panic as the male dialed zero and asked for the police. The young man proceeded to recount a frightening incident that had occurred just moments before in a heavily wooded area on the north end of the lake. The young man told the dispatcher that he and his wife had been out parking near Greer Island with two other couples when something leaped from a nearby tree and landed on their car. He described the thing as a half-man, half-goat with fur and scales. He said it tried to grab his wife, but he managed to drive off before it got a hold of her. A short time later, several police cars arrived at the restaurant. The couple frantically told the officers what had happened. The story sounded incredible, but the fear on their faces was real. The officers knew something bizarre had occurred. After a few minutes... The couple was escorted back to the scene so that police could investigate. It was the beginning of a Texas-sized monster story that has endured to this day. Welcome to the very first Monstro Bizarro podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Blackburn, and I'll be your guide as we explore strange and amazing cases of famous monsters, cryptids, phantom killers, and other ghastly ghouls as we navigate the shadowy fringes of city streets and backwoods country. 
In this episode, I'll be examining the case of the Lake Worth Monster, a creature who caused quite a stir back in the late 1960s and early 1970s. It's a case that's always been one of my favorites because it happened so close to where I live in Texas. Lake Worth is only a few minutes outside of Fort Worth, the city where I was born. So the case really began, as far as the publicity, on that night of July 10th, 1969, when the couple claimed that something attacked them at Greer Island. When the officers took the couple back to the location, they found no evidence of the attacker, but they could see an 18-inch scratch down the side of their car. The couple would later be identified as Mr. and Miss John Reichert. The following day, an article titled Fishy Mangoat Terrifies Couples Parked at Lake Worth appeared in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram newspaper. That was the actual headline. The article was written by journalist Jim Mars, who would go on to write several New York Times bestsellers on the subject of conspiracies. In the article, Mars explained that the police took the investigation seriously because the couple appeared to be genuinely upset. Apparently, the police had been receiving calls of a similar nature since June, but until that morning, they had simply been disregarded. After investigating the claim by Reichert, the police concluded it must have been the work of a prankster. Even so, that didn't stop the public from becoming enthralled with the case. The article, along with radio and television reports, created such a stir that people began to assemble at Greer Island the next day, hoping to confront the so-called goat man themselves. By the evening of July 10th, there were as many as 30 to 40 people, including members of the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department, gathered near a landmark known as the Pit, when some kind of creature appeared on a high ridge above. He began to run back and forth in the thick brush, avoiding the trail which ran down to the ridge. Witnesses said it let out a, quote, pitiful cry before it eventually threw a heavy tire, which included the rim, at least 400 feet above the heads of the onlookers. The crowd was so alarmed, most of them immediately fled. One young man reportedly backed his car into a tree as he tried to get away. Others waited with guns drawn, but the thing managed to disappear into the trees. So what started as a rather innocent monster hunt ended in a frightening experience that left the locals questioning whether it was a real creature haunting Lake Worth or a crazy costume prankster with a death wish. My late friend Bill Morris, who was there that night, confirmed that some of the people were armed and ready to fire. It could have been a really bad situation. The following day, July 11th, the newspaper ran a follow-up article which gave the details about the incident. Now everyone was tuned in to this wild monster story. Those who had seen it described it as a large creature with gray or white hair on its body. Some of the witnesses said it was partially covered with scales, while some believed they also saw horns. A man by the name of Jack Harris told reporters, quote, the creature walked like a man, but didn't look like one. He looked like he was seven feet tall and must have weighed about 300 pounds. These bizarre descriptions create a sort of cryptozoological conundrum, since some of the traits would place it into the so-called goat man category, 
while others would lump it into more of a Bigfoot category, if, of course, it wasn't a person in a costume. One of the unique things about this monster case is that we have so many eyewitnesses, especially that night on the ridge. It was dusk outside, but several people got a pretty good look at the thing. I interviewed a guy recently who said he was actually up on the ridge that night. He said he didn't see it throw the tire, but a short time later he did see the thing walking off into the woods. He said it was big, covered in hair, and didn't seem to be a human. The witness contacted me because he saw me on the Lake Worth Monster episode of the Monsters and Mysteries in America TV show. He had never told anyone the story because people tend to laugh and think you're making it up. Of course, I was glad he contacted me. It was one more piece in this wild puzzle. It might seem unlikely for a large creature like this to be seen on the outskirts of a big city like Fort Worth but it was pretty remote and wooded around Lake Worth back in 1969. The lake is a reservoir on the west fork of the Trinity River that flows across North Texas. It was created in 1914 as a site for storing water and also for recreation. Back in those days, there were various dirt roads that led down to the lake where couples would park, like a lover's lane hangout. Greer Island was part of the landscape where many of the incidents happened. A lot of wildlife lived in the area and traveled up and down the river, so it would not be out of the ordinary to see a cougar or bobcat, perhaps. In fact, some people believe the so-called monster was actually a bobcat. A naturalist at the Greer Island Nature Center said that a pet bobcat had been turned loose in the area at one time. He believed that's what people were seeing. This might account for the, quote, pitiful cries that people heard, but by no means can a cat of any size throw a tire 400 feet or appear to be larger than a human. It just seems ridiculous. Another theory at the time was offered by a local kennel owner who said he was tracking a 40-pound runaway macaque monkey near the lake. This theory also ignores the fact that witnesses reported a much larger bipedal-type creature, In the weeks that followed, there were more incidents that involved the alleged monster. On one occasion, it was seen running across an open grass field. In another, five people claimed they saw it breaking the limbs of a huge oak tree. Others said they heard the thing scream with an eerie sound at night. A young man by the name of Ronnie Armstrong, who was also a witness to the incident on the ridge, claimed the creature had been wounded by a gunshot. He said he followed a trail of blood leading down to the water's edge, where it presumably swam over to Greer Island in order to escape. Armstrong also saw some tracks that were discovered by three individuals while they were walking around the lake. The tracks measured 16 inches long, with a toe spread of 8 inches. They appeared to have been made by a very heavy, unknown animal. Based on the sightings in the tracks, Armstrong felt it might be a big white ape of some kind. Most of these later incidents were either ignored or unknown to the press because they were never covered. But luckily, a local Fort Worth resident and would-be writer by the name of Sally Ann Clark saw the value of following up on the story. Shortly after the incidents made headlines, 
She headed to Lake Worth with a pencil and a notepad and began interviewing witnesses and documenting the events. She then wasted no time in typing up the story and self-publishing a book called The Lake Worth Monster in the early fall of 1969. The book includes interviews with witnesses that would have otherwise been lost. One of the people that told Sally about an encounter was a guy named Vic Franklin of Fort Worth. He claimed to have seen the creature a number of times. He said it was at least seven feet tall and looked like a very hairy human. Another eyewitness, Jim Stevens, told Clark that they jumped on the hood of his car one night as he and two other men were driving around the lake. They had heard about the creature while fishing that day and decided to hunt for it. Stevens said the creature remained on the car's hood until he swerved and ran into a tree. At that point, the thing jumped off and ran into the woods. He described it as being big and human-like with scars all over its face, arms, and chest. He said it was frightening. When I first started looking into this case, I wondered if Sally had ever seen the creature herself. And apparently she did. She claimed to have seen it a total of five times. On the first occasion, Clark said she was at the lake when she found a very big track. Later, she was sitting in the back of a friend's camper when she saw the creature through the screen door. She had set out a plate of shrimp on the back of the camper. The thing came up, grabbed the plate and carried it off. She also said it was big, tall, a white-looking thing, and it really scared her. Clark didn't have a camera with her at the time, but someone did capture an image of something strange a month later. On November 19th, Fort Worth resident Alan Plaster was driving on Shoreline Drive with a couple from the nearby town of Weatherford at around 1.30 a.m. when one of them saw a large, white figure stand up near the road. Plaster, who was driving, grabbed his Polaroid camera and managed to snap a picture. The resulting photo shows some kind of white thing standing in the grass near a tree. It's kind of blurry, but there's definitely something there. I think it might be blurry because the subject was moving when the photo was taken, and this was an old-school camera, so he didn't have the luxury of taking a bunch of quality digital photos. If you Google Lake Worth Monster Photo, it actually comes up and you can see it for yourself. Alan Plaster showed this photo to Sally Ann Clark, who agreed it could be a photo of the actual beast. Plaster took her to the place where the photo had been taken. It appeared the subject had been standing in a ditch next to a tree. Using the tree as a height reference, they estimated that the subject in the photo was around 7 feet tall. In 2005, Clark told my colleague Daniel Perez that Alan was an honest person who did not drink. She was sure he didn't fabricate the photo as some kind of a hoax. He and the other witnesses had truly seen something and he was able to photograph it. Plaster later downplayed the photo in a 2006 interview with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram saying he believed that whatever it was wanted to be seen, suggesting it might have been someone in a costume but that was his opinion in hindsight, so there's really no way to tell. Plaster has since passed away, and he would never divulge the names of the other people who were in the car with him that night, so it's been impossible to get their perspective on the matter. 
I spoke to Bud Kennedy, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram reporter who interviewed Plaster in 2006 to see if he might know who the people are. But he doesn't have their names either. He said that Alan Plaster would not give him that information and only referred to one of the passengers as Kay. And I'm not sure if that's a real name or not. Plaster was apparently a private person, so I think he was annoyed that people kept asking him about the photo so many years later. There might really be something there in that Polaroid snapshot, but it remains a mystery without more information from Plaster or the other passengers. It stands as one of the better cryptid-related photos that's ever been taken. As far as I know, the original photo was given to Sally Ann Clark and is now in the possession of her family. Luckily, some good copies were made of it. The Star-Telegram has one in their files, and a friend of mine bought one of Clark's books online, and it came with a mysterious copy of this photo. Those are better quality than what mostly turns up on the Internet. Just weeks before Alan took the photo, a man claimed to have been attacked while he slept in the back of his truck near Greer Island. On November 7, 1969, Charles Buchanan set out for a day of fishing on the lake. Later that night, he decided to sleep out there in the back of his pickup truck. He told reporters that around 2 a.m., he was awakened when he felt his truck moving, as if someone was trying to shake it or tip it over. Then suddenly, a hair-covered face appeared over the side of the pickup, followed by two long, hairy arms. They were reaching for Buchanan, who was inside his sleeping bag. The thing tried to lift him up. Thinking fast, Buchanan reached for some barbecue chicken he had left over from dinner and shoved it towards the beast. The thing promptly let go of the sleeping bag and shoved the chicken in its mouth before running off towards the lake. He then plunged into the water and swam in the direction of Greer Island. Buchanan described it as being about seven and a half feet tall with long arms and short, stubby fingers. He said it was probably 700 pounds and looked like a cross between a human and a gorilla or an ape. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As 1969 came to a close, monster fever around Lake Worth began to dwindle as sightings diminished. Some folks, such as Sally Ann Clark and my friend Bill Morris, continued their research, but for the most part, the newspapers and the public interest moved on. Clark's Lake Worth Monster book is ultimately a semi-fictional treatment of the subject that includes both facts and interviews with witnesses, along with some fanciful passages in which she imagines what it would be like to see the creature for herself. This approach tends to muddy the waters in terms of accurate historical research, but Clark's intention at the time was to document the events while at the same time writing an entertaining book. She didn't actually see the creature before she published the book. That was something that happened later in 1970. The book is now very collectible in terms of cryptozoology and Bigfoot publications. I've seen it go for as much as $100 on eBay.
I feel fortunate to have several mint copies myself. Over the years, many people have speculated about what really happened that summer, and a number of people have come forward to claim credit for a grand hoax, as often occurs in these cases. According to a 2009 article from the Victoria Advocate, back in 1969, police questioned several students from a high school in Fort Worth who were found with a, quote, faceless gorilla outfit and a mask. Their identities were not given. In 2005, the Star-Telegram received a letter from an unnamed person who claimed he and two friends decided to go out to Lake Worth and scare people on the roads. The writer said they used tin foil to make a homemade mask. The problem with the tin foil mask and gorilla costume, of which the hair would have been black or brown back then, don't match the white creature the majority of the witnesses reported. However, other claims accounted for this by saying the creature frenzy was inspired by a goat skin or a carcass that was being displayed on the hood of a car or thrown down from the trees onto the vehicles of the couples who were parked below. But that just doesn't make sense either because if it landed on the car, it would have just laid there unmoving. It wouldn't have tried to grab Miss Reichert and pull her from the car or pull Mr. Buchanan from his pickup and it wouldn't leave tracks. A reporter from Fort Worth Magazine tracked down a man by the name of Vinzens, who claimed credit for the tire-throwing incident. Vinzens said that he and two other guys had gone to Greer Island to party on July 11th, where they ended up on the bluff overlooking the pit and the mass of monster seekers below. In an innocent attempt to, quote, fire up the festivities and impress some girls, he and his buddies rolled a tire down the bluff. He said it looked more like a toss because there was a bump towards the bottom of the bluff that launched the tire into the air. Vincent said that when the incident made the papers the following day, he and his friends decided to lay low in order to avoid repercussions from police or the armed monster hunters who were stalking the area day and night. The problem is that Vinzens is not the only person to claim credit for the tire toss. A woman named Jan Galloway told a blogger at the Domain of Horror that her brothers were responsible for the so-called Goatman incidents, which included the tire toss. She said they hung ropes in the trees during the day, and then at night her younger brother, who was 11, dressed in a rabbit coat and would fly across the hoods of the cars, barely touching them. She said one night her other brother, who was 15 at the time, decided to come across the ground on all fours like a monkey. He jumped on top of a car and scratched the windshield and made a Tarzan sound. Then he jumped off. This prank supposedly sent the first couple to call police. Later, she said, he put on cut-off shorts and a white t-shirt, then smeared a black eye pencil on his face, arms, and legs. After ascending the ridge at Greer Island, he and several boys used a, quote, giant slingshot to launch the tire across the pit while he beat his chest and made Tarzan sounds. And with so many ridiculous claims, it's hard to sift out the truth in this matter, be it a man or a monster. The only certainty is that strange things were going on at Lake Worth, and there were witnesses who believed they saw something that was not a human in a costume. To add to the mystery, sightings in the area didn't start in 1969. 
For years, people had talked of a creature that haunted the lake. Some called it the Mud Man or Mud Monster, while others simply referred to it as a ghost. A resident who had lived there for 40 years told Sally Clark that he saw something like the Lake Worth Monster at least 20 years earlier. When the creature made headlines in 1969, it became known as the Goat Man. Over the years, however, it's become more associated with Bigfoot lore. That's interesting because the so-called Goat Man, in terms of monster lore or cryptids, is a different kind of creature than a Bigfoot. Goat men are often described as looking, well, more like a goat with horns, fuzzy hair, and possibly hooves. Except they are able to stand on two legs like a human. Most goat man legends revolve around bridges, almost like a troll figure from traditional folklore. I remember hearing stories about a bridge near my house when I was a kid. People said there was a goat man down there. A more famous example is the Popelick Monster of Kentucky, which is said to haunt an old train trestle bridge near Louisville. It's got some weird aspects which mix urban legend and the paranormal. According to some accounts, the creature uses either hypnosis or voice mimicry to lure trespassers onto the trestle to meet their death before an oncoming train. Other stories claim the monster jumps down from the trestle onto cars passing beneath it. Some say it chases victims with a blood-stained axe, and at the very sight of the creature, it's so unsettling that those who see it while walking across the trestle are compelled to leap off. People have actually died there while investigating this legend. Interestingly enough, there's a Goatman legend from Denton, Texas, which is not very far from Lake Worth. It originates from the historic Old Alton Bridge, located between the cities of Denton and Copper Canyon, about 40 miles north of Lake Worth. According to the legend, the bridge is haunted by a half-man, half-goat creature. The bridge is often referred to as Goatman's Bridge because of this. But I think it's definitely more of an urban legend than sightings of a real creature per se. The story comes from the legend of a black goat farmer named Oscar Washburn. He was said to have moved his family to a residence just north of the bridge where he established a goat farm. After a while, the locals began to refer to him as the Goat Man, and there was a sign on Alton Bridge that said, This way to the Goat Man. But some people took offense at the success of a black man, and in August 1938, Klansmen in the local government crossed the bridge and kidnapped Washburn from his family. They hung a noose on the old Alton Bridge and, after securing it around his neck, threw him over the side. When they looked down to see if he was dead, the noose was empty. In a panic, they returned to the family's home and killed his wife and children. To this day, there's a legend about the bridge some say that if you cross the bridge at night without headlights, as the Klansmen are said to have done, you will be met on the other side by the Goat Man. Ghostly figures and strange lights are said to appear in the surrounding woods, as well as reports of visitors being touched, grabbed, and having rocks thrown at them while they're near the bridge. There could certainly be some kind of paranormal phenomenon taking place down there, but as far as the goat man himself, he seems to have an origin story that is much more supernatural than what we have in the Lake Worth monster case. 
in general, goatman-type monsters seem to have more elements of urban legend, such as a human transformed into a goat creature, or it carries an axe. The sightings of these so-called goatmen are fewer and often very vague, whereas sightings of Bigfoot creatures are often very detailed, up close, and far exceed those of the other so-called forest monsters. So if the Lake Worth monster wasn't a hoax, then it seems more likely to be a white Bigfoot than some kind of scaly goat man. People don't always associate Texas with Bigfoot, but there is a long history of Bigfoot reports in the state, especially in the eastern piney woods. Bigfoot creatures have also been reported in the area of North Texas over the years, and some of them supposedly having white hair. In 1963, the Denton Record Chronicle reported that someone near the town of Denton, Texas, claimed to have seen a hairy eight-foot thing, which the locals referred to as the monster. The details are sketchy, but Denton is only 30 miles north of Lake Worth. An earlier incident was said to have taken place in 1938 near the town of Red Oak, 40 miles southeast of Lake Worth. In this time, the creature was described as having white hair. According to a report, four men were coon hunting one night in the heavy woods surrounding Red Oak Creek. As they sat in camp waiting for their dogs to sniff out a raccoon, they noticed the dogs weren't barking as they usually did on the hunts and were instead sitting close to the fire acting scared. About that time, they noticed a huge, white-haired figure standing about 30 or so yards from the fire. It was just standing there watching them. The hunters quickly grabbed their guns and dogs and fled from the bottoms. The next day, they told others of the encounter, but no one believed their story. I got another report even closer to Lake Worth. A woman told me that her father saw what he described as an ape with white hair while hunting in Decatur back in the 1950s. That was well before 1969, so there's no way he could have been influenced by the Lake Worth monster reports since those wouldn't take place for another decade at least. After the initial frenzy of sightings in the late 1960s and early 1970s, the story seemed to fade away. However, that wasn't the end of Bigfoot sightings in the area. I spoke to a woman by the name of Cynthia Dunstan, who told me of a possible Bigfoot encounter she had on the north side of Lake Worth in 1982. It didn't have white hair, but I think the story is still relevant here. Cynthia was young at the time and was visiting her grandparents who lived near the lake. She spent many afternoons exploring the woods surrounding the home, and on this occasion she had followed an old cow path from their barn to a nearby creek. She said she got about halfway down the path when she saw the dark shape of something humanoid standing in front of a fence at the end of the path. She wasn't really alarmed, so she kept walking. As she got closer, however, the shape moved and she could see it more clearly. It looked like a hairy, man-like creature. She said its hair was longish and dark auburn in color. It appeared to be a natural-looking animal, but obviously not one she had ever seen before. She was startled, so she turned and started back up the path towards the barn. She was afraid to outright run, thinking it might chase her, so she walked very fast. She said when she was almost to the barn, she looked back. 
The thing had followed her part of the way, but stopped before it got to the barn. As soon as she could see her grandparents' house, she took off running. After she was inside the gate, which surrounded the house, she looked back to the barn, but nothing was there. Now again, this thing wasn't white, but where there's one Bigfoot creature, there could be others. As far as more recent sightings, I haven't come across anything that I thought was credible. Lake Worth is just a very different place now than it was back in the 1960s. The wilderness surrounding the lake has given way to considerable development. The only thing that remains is a 300-acre nature preserve which surrounds Greer Island. That's still wooded, but it's within a stone's throw of fast food restaurants and home depots, not to mention the much busier marina areas where people enjoy water sports. But Bigfoot reports are still numerous in the eastern portion of Texas where there's still a lot of heavy pine forests. So if Bigfoots do indeed live in Texas, then they could have once traveled around Lake Worth. Sightings tend to cluster around bodies of water such as creeks, rivers, and lakes, so it fits perfectly with that characteristic. Perhaps these creatures traveled up and down the Trinity River back in those days. I do know of other Bigfoot sightings along the river, some dating back to the 1970s. It's not out of the realm of possibility, given the history of Bigfoot in the Lone Star State. It seems just as plausible that the Lake Worth monster was a light-haired Sasquatch as it was a kid dressed in a white shirt with black makeup and a tinfoil mask swinging from ropes across parked cars. Either way, it's a monster mystery that has endured for over 50 years and will likely endure for 50 more. It's time now for Monstro Mail, where I answer your most intriguing questions. However, since this is the very first episode, I have yet to collect any questions from you, the listeners. If you would like a chance for your question to be read and answered on this podcast, please submit via the contact page on my website at lyleblackburn.com. Over the years, the story of the Lake Worth monster has become a permanent part of local Fort Worth history and one of the most famous monster tales in all of Texas. It has been featured in newspaper articles, stage plays, television shows, and of course books, including some of my own. The Fort Worth Nature Preserve even hosts a Lake Worth Monster Bash every five years. So it's definitely something that's not been forgotten and something that has achieved classic status in both Bigfoot lore and cryptid studies. And the case still raises questions even to this day about the true nature of the mystery. Was it a teenage hoax? Was it mistaken identity? Or did something truly bizarre and unknown stalk the shores of the lake back in the hazy days of the summer of love? Perhaps it's something only known in the darkest realms of Monstro Bizarro. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Bigfoot Times Newsletter, a monthly print publication that keeps you informed about the ongoing studies of Bigfoot creatures. Visit BigfootTimes.net. And the North American Bigfoot Center of Oregon, 
an exhibit dedicated to the mystery of Bigfoot located in scenic, boring Oregon. Find out more at NorthAmericanBigfootCenter.com. For more information about my books, music, and research, please visit LyleBlackburn.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.